everybody welcome to the 211th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in beaverton oregon ready to talk about the topics that have been uh really popular in blazers Twitterland. yeah i think this might be the first episode where i am recording with telly on my lap telly is one of my cats. I've had her since 06. So we were discussing before the podcast, like Telly has seen some shit. She's essentially, she's essentially the, like the Udonis Haslam of this cat game right now. She's the OG. Is she the first? Her and Bassie were the first. Okay. Yeah. So like, she's been with me since I moved up to Portland, even before I moved to Portland, I married Olga in 06 and we got Telly and Bassie together in june of 06 so she predates the marriage so she's definitely that that vince carter longevity robert parish you know kareem abdul jabbar um putting up them numbers you know being the statistics that that nobody's gonna catch so um it's it's a thursday night i got myself a, a hot cider toddy um it's almost you know it's spooky season almost halloween and uh excited to be chatting with with you about some Blazers basketball. We finally have been getting some some news that the season is going to start one way or another, and either it's going to be December twenty second or it's going to be MLK. Either way, Sage, I am ready to hear when the salary cap drops, when free agency starts. The only thing we know for certain still, NBA draft is November eighteenth, and I think it's a combination of basketball being deprived of basketball any form of basketball or just my innate love for the draft but i am slowly but surely getting on board with the 2020 nba Mm -hmm. draft i think there's like 25 26 players that i'd fight for and once those 26 players are used up i'm kind of i'm kind of done with this draft but there are some players that I'd be willing to like, if I was in the draft room, I'd be banging my fist on the table. We need to get player X over player Y. So, you know, it, it's not the star powered uh, draft like next year's, but there is some legitimate talent that can help a team out. And, and when you're the Blazers, you don't necessarily need a star powered draft. Yeah. You have Damian Lillard, bonafide CJ. top five player. CJ McCollum, bonafide all-star caliber player, Yusuf Nurkic, top five center in the league. You have high-end talent. To me, the, the reason I'm coming around in this draft is really where the Blazers are picking. I mm-hmm. wouldn't want a top five pick in this draft because you're not going to get that high-end talent. And the players that you may think can reach that ceiling also have very low floors. I mean, mm-hmm. that when we talk about this, that is a high variance. We are looking for that single, maybe that double. We don't need to blow it out of the water. We just need a contributor from day one who can grow with this team. And I think there's a lot of value with that around the late lottery uh, where the Blazers are slated to pick at at 16. Yeah, like 7 through 20 is the place to be. If you're the Minnesota Timberwolves and you can't make a trade, what are you going to do? you you got to make this pick so it improves Cat's 
where how Cat's playing, how I guess D'Lo's playing, and if this draft pick themselves, how, how do they, how how are they going to help the organization? And Lamelo isn't going to help D'Angelo. Anthony Edwards isn't going to help D'Angelo. The person that would help them the most is Devin Vassell. And are you going to take Devin Vassell one? No. Minnesota would rather be like at six where Devin Vassell isn't a reach or Denny isn't a reach. They're in a weird predicament with team construction and there's no way they're going to go with the weird Devin Vassell, Denny type of pick. So 16, we can, we can do something with that. There's players that are going to be a consistent help and, we ain't looking for a star. We ain't Detroit Pistons looking for NBA talent. We have NBA talent. We're just trying to find someone that works around the edges and has potential to be good and be good consistently. It's really tough if you're picking in the top half of this draft because not only are you paying a higher salary for a top pick, you know, it, it starts to descend clearly from from one one back. But then if you do try to do something like the Cavaliers did in 2013, where it was a similar predicament for teams, there wasn't a clear-cut number one pick. I was working for the Trailblazers at the time, and I used to do the mock draft roundup, seeing where everybody was slating the Blazers to pick. We had the 13th pick that year. Anthony David, Anthony Bennett, excuse me, was starting to fall to that 13 slot. Like I was seeing players all over the board. Mm-hmm. He ended up going number one. The Cavs had no idea. So so they banked on Anthony Bennett. And I think there comes a lot of pressure inherently with becoming a number one overall pick. Fair or not, we're not going to remember, or we won't remember as vividly, oh, this draft class wasn't as as good. That's why that player went number one. They're going to remember Anthony Bennett. Oh, my God. Like, if you could have had, like, you know, a number one caliber player of a Blake Griffin or a David Robinson or Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan. Anthony Bennett is now lumped in to that category yeah. as former number one overall picks for the rest of time. And that's not fair to him because he was never projected to be a number one pick. So if you do take the player that you want, like Devin Vassell, so, you know, to throw a name out there he now inherently has number one overall pick pressure. Yep. Even if you say, oh, you know, we could have picked a million guys. This is a draft that was wide open. The fact of the matter is that player will be the number one selection and certain players can manage that hype and deal with it. And others are better floating under the radar of, I'm just a late lottery pick. The, the Minnesota has had a lot of number ones. And they've kind of wasted that opportunity with uh, Andrew Wiggins. This is where their management finally, like, this, they have an asset. And it might not be the draft to have number one, but it's an asset. You have to do something good with it. You, They've done a lot of weird roster construction moves. This is a test for the Minnesota Timberwolves. More times than not, I will say best player available, probably 9 out of 10. When you're picking in the top five, it is 10 out of 10 best player available. You talk about the guy with a high ceiling. You have to take them regardless. If you truly feel a guy like LaMelo Ball is the best player in this draft, you have to take it. Yes, D'Angelo Russell is your second best player. He is a, a centerpiece of your franchise. He is a point guard. He has a massive contract. You have the number one pick for a reason. You lack talent. You lack high-end talent. 
you have to go out there and get the best player available and you make it work. I mean, this is coming from Rip City, where we have seen the Blazers make quite a few of their own draft blunders. Yes, we had Jim Paxson. Yes, we had uh, Clyde Drexler. You have a chance to take the collegiate player of the year and Michael Jordan. You take him and they could have easily moved Drexler to the three, did some form of a youth movement, and Paxson was an all-star probably capped out at a, a low level all-star you could have traded him for assets mm. we weren't winning anything at the time either so it's really about the organizations that take a long-term approach with this and can look for not they're not looking for win now moves minnesota is not going to make an impact next season not even the year after what can they do to make their franchise relevant in five to six years when you start to see superstars of today start to decline and you want to be in that bunch of, of teams like a Luca or maybe even a Zion like competing I mean it, the NBA goes in waves so they're tasked with now finding that next player mm. and thankfully the Blazers aren't in that position we have no. a lot of role players that we can target and Sage when I've been watching a lot of these strength and weakness videos of players a lot of the weaknesses are probably like can't create their own shot or might not be the best playmaker or um, their, their, their first step is a little bit slow. I'm like, cool. That's fine. What can you, you do? You don't have to do it here. <laughs> what can you do? Like this is where you really look at the players and think, what can you do for me? And mm-hmm. that's where you try to find the, the players where their skills will translate. You look at needs, you look at fit and you say, we need this. Can you come in and provide that? You're not going to come in. You're not going to take 15 shots. You're not going to play 30 minutes. To be honest, Sage, if we get you might not play at all. <laughs> if we get if we get production like a guy for like Matisse Thibel, take it, run, let, let's go. If the Blazers stay at their current pick, who is your number one guy? And let's assume that anyone from like the eight, ten spot on is still there. Who is your number one? guy i'm honestly going back and forth between two players and i'm not meaning to try to ride the fence i i it's really it's really one a and one b for mm-hmm. me right now i really like sadiq bay the the power forward from from villanova he is really classified as someone who has a really high floor uh, mm-hmm. it would be incredibly tough for, to, to miss on, on him. He, at the very least, he's going to come in and be a role player. Exactly what we need. Position of need, by all accounts, would be the best player available at that position. Jay Wright at Villanova has produced a lot of high-end talent in the NBA. You go back to even Kyle Lowry back in 06. Mm-hmm. Eric Pascal from the past year. Josh Hart. Player. Yeah, exactly. Josh Hart. He is a player who knows his role, can hit the three, can defend. I mean, that's exactly what we're looking for at, at the four position. And it feels like he can make an impact from, from day one. And that's when I was talking about Matisse Thibault. He was a player who doesn't have a high ceiling, but he has a really high floor. So if he's, he's not going to be a, at the, this, at this right now, Matisse Thibault, if this is the best it gets, you take it plus defender plus three point shooter in your rotation. The Blazers desperately need that big, to come and be a modern stretch four in, in today's NBA. So I really love Bay from Villanova and I'm equally fascinated. And this is where we're going to differ 
uh, Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt. And I know he had a stress fracture in his foot, which caused him to play only a handful of games. But when he was out there, and it's not just that he shot 52% from three, Sage, I, I want to make that, that clear. Why I am intrigued by him is he brings something to the table that so few NBA players do. His ability to move off the ball and get open is so reminiscent reminiscent of Curry, Thompson, Rip Hamilton, Ray Allen, J.J. Redick, those great shooters who make their defenders work. And when you have someone like that who is going to move, you're, you're guaranteeing your offense isn't going to be stagnant when he is on the floor. He is at least going to move and create some form of motion. And if he gets going, it's going to cause matchups, switches, confusion, which means, oh, the big thinks he's going to go out and guard, guard Neesmith. Well, the guard thought he was supposed to do that too. Okay, so your bigs open down low for an easy layup. I love the movement and the mobility that he brings, being able to catch and shoot off the dribble. That's something when I was scouting CJ McCollum in the 2013 draft, I noticed he could score in a, a just a bevy of ways. Now, mm-hmm. Neesmith can't score quite off the bounce as well as CJ did coming out of Yeah, Lehigh. he doesn't have the footwork to do it at all. He does not have the footwork, but as we have saw in the in the, in the NBA, especially in the bubble, the Miami Heat are littered with shooters. Mm-hmm. And if you can shoot, you can play. And Damian Lillard probably outside of LeBron James draws the most amount of attention of any NBA player. I mean, they were picking him up pre half court. You need players who are going to make defenses honest. Mm -hmm. Are you going to double Dame or are you going to leave shooters open and Portland needs shooters? Um, Mm -hmm. We saw the impact that Gary Trent jr. Had just, just being able to stay open. Defenses started to have to to pay attention to him and, and they keyed in on him. Clearly, Neesmith is not a finished product, and maybe J.J. Redick is who he taps out at, and frankly, I would take that. We're talking about a draft that's filled with with role players. If you can get a guy that just comes off the bench, is a specialist, if he turns out to be Kyle Korver, take that and run. We need consistent specialists off the bench who know their role. Um, He's got good size. From what I've seen, he has the ability to become a good defender, Um, those two are my ideal picks at 16. It gets a little, little bit more foggy for me if they're both off the board. Yourself? When I, I, I did a, a personal board for me, and I, I know Sadiq Bey is my last person on my board, and then I think Aaron Neesmith is, let me check this for real, he is third to last on my board. Um, I don't think Sadiq Bey has the foot speed really to be a defender. Um, when I watched Villanova play, he kind of had less hesitation before making a decision that when, when we've, when we've watched playoff basketball, you can't have that hesitation because teams work so hard to make it. So you have that second of openness and he in the best possible plays that I saw in the, like the, strength strength and weaknesses when he passed it off he could have shot it and that hesitation i think makes me not want him and i i i just think he's a shooter i don't think he's a, a, the defender prospect with aaron neesmith he he was unbelievably hot he might be the 
he he and Desmond Bain, I think you can honestly say are the best two shooters in the draft. But limited limited sample size and no SEC competition, so he played against bad players and dominated. I don't know if I've ever seen a jump from a good shooter to the best shooter ever. And I think the regression would have brought him down quite a bit. And for the Blazers, are we really going to change our scheme from a four out to something where it's more motion for the 16th pick when we have CJ and Dame? I don't know. I would say I think both CJ and Dame could play better without the ball. I think that's what makes the Warriors so difficult to defend is how they constantly move. So regardless of Neesmith, if we're talking about changing the scheme, I mean, you and I both are both yeah, on the Absolutely, board. but it's it's Terry Stotts. I don't think he's going to change the scheme. But if we were willing to change the scheme to allow Aaron Neesmith to do the things that he wants to do, and that's be a movement shooter, be a great shooter, I'd be I'd be okay with it. But I don't think that we as an organization are going to change our schemes for Aaron Neesmith. If if what we want is a movement shooter, I think Desmond Bain is way more scheme versatile. I think Aaron Neesmith needs a very niche scheme for him to be the best that he can be. And I think that he his defensive communication and footwork scare me to the point where I don't think he'll ever be a net neutral defender he'll always be a bad one but i would be much more willing with those those caveats of taking aaron neesmith over sadiq bay for me personally i would say tyrese maxi would be very high on my list um he is a guy that attacks off the bounce and he is a low he in college he was a low three point percent shooter but if you look at kentucky they had zero spacing outside of Tyrese Maxey. So it was, you know, you just target Tyrese Maxey and spacing goes away from Kentucky. In high school, he was like a 38% three-point shooter on much higher volume. So I believe in the shot. And you mentioned that Dame and CJ draw so much attention. We need players that can attack off of a defense that isn't set. Tyrese Maxey can do that. He's bursty. He can shoot. He can drive to the lane. I, he's number one for me. Um, as I've been researching for the, a blog post that I'm writing, we talked about solid players that know their role. Desmond Bain from TCU, he started out as a second-round pick, and as the draft process has gone on, he's worked his way from 40th to 20th. It isn't that much of a, a jump from 16th to 20th, as, and that's where he's kind of been rated. So Desmond Bain, he, I, I think when when you look at Sadiq Bay, you think of a guy that can be the secondary or third playmaker for a team because that's what he did at Villanova. I think Desmond Bain is the best playmaking player that isn't a point guard, and he's a little shorter and a better rebounder, and bet, I, I, top two shooter in the draft. We can argue about Aaron Neesmith and Des, but I, I, I go Des because I think he's just a better basketball player than both Sadiq and Aaron. So for, for Desmond and Sadiq, both have unconventional releases. Sadiq, oh, absolutely. Sadiq likes to put it right in his face. Um, Desmond Bain just has a very unconventional release. Are there mm-hmm. any concerns that either player is not going to be able to get their shot off 
at the NBA level because the players with unconventional three-point shooting in NBA history that have been successful, I can count on one hand. And the only mm. one that's really coming to mind is Sean Marion. So it's usually you have a pretty textbook jumper and neither of those players do. They had success at the collegiate level. Do you foresee any concern that it won't translate to the pros? I trust the shot for Desmond. I mean, he's, I saw a tweet that said he and Steph Curry were the best two shooters in the decade in terms of like catch and shoot and movement shooting. I trust, I trust Dez's movement shooting. I would honestly have to watch more Villanova to see what Sadiq would do. He is tall enough to get, launch his shot. So, I mean, he is six, eight. He kind of built like a brick shit house. I think he can get a shot off. I'm just worried about his movement abilities, man. Like that, like that secondary playmaker for Villanova. And I just, I don't know, man. He just looked like a, a regular dude. He didn't look like top 16 pick, but shit, I've been wrong before many times. So maybe Sadiq would prove me wrong, but those three shooters were in where the Blazers were picking. I would take Dez and not really worry about it. For Maxi, he is 6'3". Mm-hmm. So you're looking at another undersized shooting guard because right yes. now he can't play the point. We talked about taking best player available. Are you saying it's time to move on from Anthony Simons or are you saying that Tyrese Maxi needs to be able to at least run an offense in the second unit to succeed in this league? You know, it, it's tough with Kentucky, man, because you're always – they pigeonholed their players into specific roles. Like we didn't think Devin Booker was going to be this good. And, you know, there's a long list of Kentucky players, Jamal Murray, that coach K kind of pigeonholes them. And you don't know exactly what they are. And I think playmaking is the thing that we don't know for Tyrese. Honestly, I don't think that he'll be a primary guy ever but he would be a very good complimentary player. And if we're going to talk about reads, I've seen Tyrese Maxey make better passing reads than Anthony has in his uh, NBA career. So if, if Neil O'Shea went up to me and said, Sage, would you rather go Anthony Simons or Tyrese Maxey? I would, I would go Tyrese Maxey. Better defender compared to, because Simons, I would argue, is a better offensive player. I think Tyrese Maxey is a dog defensively. He he's his footwork, hips and hands are really high tier. So he will fight around screens. He's a good team defender because I think Gary Trent would probably be the on ball guy for the Blazers moving forward. And he's a great team defender. But if he had to be a, a ISO guy, uh, defend the ISO, I think he would do a really good job defending it. We, we don't really know with Kentucky how good he can be, but I would put my money on Tyrese over Anthony. Would you compare Tyrese to another former Kentuckian in Eric Bledsoe? I think t- I trust Tyrese just shot more. So I, I think he's going to be a very good complimentary secondary guy. And then some team is probably going to give him a, a max contract off of the potential of him being the primary. And I, I just, you know, if you're maxing out as a high tier complimentary scorer, it's, I think we take a chance on him. Also, he's in my tier one of players. I've loved Tyrese Maxey since March when I started this, this research on the 
the, this draft class. Tyrese Maxey stood out because of his ability to make tough shots and his defense. What are some other prospects that you would be enthused about Portland drafting? Or even if they traded up, like not. Oh, like- if they traded up, Devin Vassell is like if if they traded for the Pistons or whoever. Devin Vassell is my number one. I know yours is Onyeka Okonwu, and that would be my number two. But I think Devin Vassell with his ability to be a off ball the pest team defender. I I think that and a great shooter. He was like a forty one percent shooter on high volume. Devin Vassell would be my number one trade-up guy. And uh, he has a little bit of playmaking in his repertoire, too. I wouldn't I wouldn't force it on him, but, you know, in a few years, I could definitely see him being a secondary playmaker for a team. So I, I would go Devin Vassell. And I, uh, is Onyeko your trade-up option? Yeah, I think he's the best player in the draft. I would take him number one. He may not have the highest ceiling as a Wiseman or a Lamelo, but... I think he has the best chance to reach his ceiling. If I think he has him. the best chance of being a great player. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love his ability in the modern NBA to be able to play defensively on the perimeter, block shots, rebound the basketball. He's not going to demand a lot of shots. So he's best probably suited for a Bam out of Bayou type role where he's got shooters around him. He's got playmakers in the backcourt. He's not asked to okay, we're going to dump the ball into you and you're going to you know, be a playmaker like a Jokic or an Embiid. Um, and for the Blazers, I just love the Nurkic insurance. Um, oh, Nurk- yeah. Nurk is injury prone. He's also on a team-friendly deal for two more years and you just you just don't know what that offer is going to be. Clearly, we all want Yusuf Nurkic to be a Blazer for the rest of his career, mm-hmm. but tough decisions may have to be made. And if you've got, take Miami, for example, they had Hassan Whiteside, they had Bam Adebayo. Hassan was their guy. They Mm -hmm. saw a little bit of progress in BAM. They knew that Hassan's contract was running out and he was getting paid a little bit too much more money. They rolled the dice and they they said, we're going to let our our rookie from 2017 take the reins and we're going to see what we got. It turned out seven. Be wonderful. Yeah, exactly. They they hit the the, the lottery in in the late draft lottery with BAM. I'm not saying Onyeka is Bam. I'm just saying I see similar tendencies. I love his ability to finish around the rim. He's bouncy. I, I think he can play the four in today's NBA. He's going to have to fit, work on a shot, but he wasn't asked to shoot at the collegiate level. And that's mm. another thing you have to really put into context when you're looking at these prospects is the collegiate game and the NBA game are night and day. You're not running and gunning, shooting, 53 pointers on the collegiate level. There's traditional bigs that are slow prodding a little bit and they're going to dump it down. They have a 30 second shot clock and, you know, they they play two 20 minute halves. It's just, it's just a different game. you got one in the one free throws. It slows the game down. It's a little bit more slower paced. Onyeka wasn't asked to shoot jumpers. He's got a decent form. And if Mm. he can improve that, he is going to become a, a monster but even- I think he's he's the if you're gonna draft a big you're gonna you, number one is Onyeka. I know James Wiseman is projected to go probably much higher than him. I think there's a zero percent chance that Onyeka Okonwu can get played off the court. I think there's a very high chance in like high pressure situations. James Wiseman's on the bench. Onyeka 
is like the one elite prospect that I think wouldn't be off the off the floor in clutch scenarios. Like I think there's three bigs that could finish games. And I think Onyeka Kanwu, Xavier Tillman, and Killian Tilly. And Killian and Xavier are kind of 20s, 20 to 40 type prospects. Though if you want the one good big, you take Onyeka and don't look back. I would love if the Blazers did draft him to play him at the five anytime Nurk is off the court. I think Onyeka needs five time as well as four. But, I mean, if, if he's 80, 90% of BAM, that's a huge get. I mean, in, in my tiers... It's, it's, it's Vassell four and Onyeka five. There really isn't that much of a difference. I just think Vassell's ability to shoot and his off-ball defense is going to be a little bit more valuable in this era of NBA. But if you look past where we're at now, if we look past where we're at now, Onyeka is the prototype big for the future. If I could trade Zach for a pick that would get me Onyeka, I would do it in a Oh, in a second. In like harder feet. It, it, it ain't even it, it ain't even funny how fast I would trade Zach and whatever we needed to get on Yeka. I mean, there's going to be so many people talking about how they want on Yeka and are willing to trade from for him. I don't think there really is that for anyone else. Like I don't, the Knicks would probably trade up for Lamelo, but I don't I don't know if anyone's gonna trade up for Anthony Edwards or. Uh, Obi Toppin or James Wiseman, I would trade up for Onyeka or Devin in a second. I think if Onyeka goes nine or later, we're going to look back and he's going to be the Paul Pierce, yeah, yeah. the Karam Butler uh, of the draft where you're like, God damn, how do you... I don't think he's getting guy? past Washington. Yeah, how do you let this guy slide? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, we haven't really talked about it, but if James Wiseman and Obi Toppin go ahead of him, it's, it's so sad for what I think on is in this NBA, like Obi Tobin was easily the best college basketball player this year, but I don't see him having a role where he is on the court at the end of games because his defense is so bad. And same with James Wiseman. They're not great defensive players. Like James Wiseman is jumpy as hell. Obi Toppin's hips are so high that he can't play any other defense besides the zone that puts him right by the basket it's hard to do a, a scheme with a guy that can't play any, you know, hedge or pick and roll defense. He might be one of the best scorers in the draft, but man, if he's giving up points at a, at a sieve like rate, like we can't, we can't play him. There's not that many teams that he'd fit on. And we definitely aren't one. Our defense is so bad. We couldn't take another non-defender. Are there any other prospects in the late lottery that you would be be like draft night concludes. We get X prospect aside from the players that we talked about. Are there any other ones that you're like pretty stoked about, about our draft night that if we were to acquire, I think Alexis Pokashevsky would be really interesting. If we were saying we want the highest, uh, highest outcome probability. I think, Alexis Pokashevsky could be a really nice prospect. He he would he would fit with Nurk. He'd fit with the scheme. He'd fit with Dame. Like it would be positives all across the board when you have a guy that can do so many defensive uh, help side uh, plays and hit threes at such a high rate. It's a very interesting prospect. But the thing about him is that his he's a, he's 
weak right now. He needs to put on a lot of strength. And, you know, does that strength ruin the the flexibility that he has right now? Um, it's I think not just a, a little bit of strength either. I, I he's skinny. He's it, a skinny it's, man. It's, it's a significant amount of strength he's going to need to add to his frame. Mm-hmm. Got a player who just 18 years of age uh, is playing for Olympiacos B. Uh, he seven. Giannis's feet, old team for those that, seven that don't know. Wingspan, two hundred one pounds. Uh, that that's not going to get it done at, at any level, frankly. So if you're taking Poku, again, I wouldn't be mad at that because I think it's the the quote unquote Giannis pick where you tr- you try to you know reach for the stars. Yeah, I but, think he has the highest uh, ceiling out of all of the non Lamelo prospects. But when one of the analysts talked about being two years away from being two years, two away, years away, that's Poku. And I, I don't know if you're going to keep this pick because, quite frankly, I, from what we've heard, not a lot of GMs are enamored with this draft. So you're probably not going to be able to use it in, in a trade to get a veteran. And you're trying to win now. I don't know if that, that, that pick makes a lot of sense. Again, it's not one I think either one of us would hate. But I, I think on the love scale, it's not hitting a 10 for me. I think, but if he hits, we're probably winning a championship with the core that we have. I mean, if he hits, maybe. Because we got to remember, like, Dame's no spring. Dame is now 30 years old. Like, I know it snuck it, up on us. He and I are the same age now. Yeah, it snuck up on us. Like, Dame's full-on 30. CJ's 29, so... You know, we, we do need these players because we only have, like we discussed last episode, the $7 million trade exception. We have the biannual exception. We have the mid-level exception. We also want to bring back Carmella. We want to, you know, explore mm. free agency. We have the 16th pick. We have a pick in the 40s in the second round. So I, I wouldn't mind Poku, but if we're talking about a center, I honestly am pretty impressed with Jalen Smith from, from Maryland. Maryland, yeah. He's just a sophomore, 6'10", 225, um, 7'2", wingspan. Honestly, looking at – when I was watching his scouting video and I had liked him, he was one of the prospects I, I liked a long time ago. I was like, why is this guy not going top five? You've got a center who can shoot and stretch the floor, plays pretty good defense. I mean, he looks like the prototypical modern five. And we all know that Terry loves bigs that can shoot. Um, he's got a really smooth stroke too. So I would be thrilled if we got Jalen Smith as well. I think he could come in right away and be the backup five. You're, you're able to play him on offense and spread the floor. Mm. Um, I, I really like Jalen. He's in my top five if we're talking about strictly Blazers prospects. You know, it, when, when you're talking about him, I, I was thinking for New Orleans and for New Orleans, I would hate him because I don't think he is the defender that you need in this league. But if it was Portland, he's really great Nurk insurance. So for all the, for the Portland trailblazers, I would, I would be very fine with it. That, I mean, like there there's guys like Cole Anthony, there's guys like Poku, Leandro Balmaro. There's players that I would like, if we drafted, there's plenty of guys that I'd be like, all right, that's cool. I'm hey, that's great. Are there any guys that you would be upset at if we drafted? I I'm the one person that I really would rather us not draft is Jameis Ramsey. I don't think he's very skilled. And, you know, earlier in the draft process, he was kind of 
you know, 16 range, but now he's kind of fallen back. I don't, I wouldn't want to take a risk on him. He's not on, uh, on any of my tiers lists. I would rather have Sadiq Bay, and he's the last on my tier list than Jameis. I mean, I don't think we'll take him, but like, I want no part of Nico Mannion for, from Arizona. I, I think this is the wrong team for a Nico Mannion, man. I don't think there's he needs he needs to if he. Mannion. The only teams he would be good on are the Bucks, Celtics, and shit. Who are uh, Lakers? Uh, he just is a small guy that can shoot and not play make at all. I, I probably wouldn't be super solid with Isaiah Stewart. I like him in the second round. I love his seven, four wingspan, but he doesn't play good enough defense to offset mm. the fact that he can't shoot. It feels a lot. It feels very, he feels like a more athletic Caleb Swanigan, but what not about Josh green? I know you have issues about uh, Josh green as a Josh prospect. green. I, I've read a lot of people love his defensive potential, mm-hmm. but can't shoot. Can't shoot again. I just I didn't see a lot when when I watched him play. Jaden McDaniels is another player that you just don't like. You dub, bro. Just just admit it. No, I've <laughs> I actually really Isaiah Stewart was a man child when I watched him play multiple times. Mm. But you clearly see his downfalls at an NBA level. Jaden McDaniels was literally a a ghost on the court. Like you Mm. couldn't tell he was out there. Like this kid was super hyped up coming into to college. And I I get it. College isn't the end all be all, but if we're talking about a guy like Poku being two years away from being two years away, I think Jay, Jay McDaniels is that same prospect. He needs a lot of work. I mean, if, if it hits, it hits, but I I don't know if the Blazers are in position to do that at 16, when I think there are going to be, really solid, capable players. Mm -hmm. And I think the Blazers are in the market for solid, capable players. We've got our our studs. You know, we just need the the role players to come along and build out the team. We've seen in the past how good this team can be when Dame and CJ are surrounded by solid talent. Mm -hmm. Um, The Blazers already swung on Nasir Little, a prospect who fell into the 20s last year who – I like uh, they swung on Anthony Simons uh, two years ago. They took a flyer on Gary Trent jr. That same draft, you know, he was a former four or five star recruit coming into Duke. You know, Trent jr. Has really blossomed. Anthony had, he struggled in this year. Looks like he's ready. He's starting to get ready to crack the rotation. I don't think the Blazers need any more players who are so far away. Like we need players who are going to come in and they're going to be ready to make the team better. And that's why I would be a little upset with a guy like Jaden McDaniels. Um, I think the one player who is really polarizing and to me, it's precious. Ajua. Oh, okay. Okay. Precious. Okay. I, I know he's got the, the, the Montrez comparisons and I, I know oh, I call him Kenneth Freed. He's yeah, Kenneth Freed. I know he's got a good wingspan, but the dude can't shoot. And he has, he is the worst spacing player in this draft. And if, if we're this playing this scheme, like is the, we, we can't save, do it. You could totally play him. But like we're t- if we're looking at a modern league, like you can't, he's going to be playing as a backup. I mean, could you imagine him and let's say you get Ennis Cantor in as your backup? Oh, those would be the, yeah, it'd be There's awful. no spacing and you can and, absolutely not play him as a five. Oh, I would only play him as a five because he can't be a four or a three. 
So, I mean, so that, that that's where we're our, our, up. I, he he can't he he's the worst spacing player in this draft. I think Precious at the four or three is just a you're asking for horrible things to happen. I would only put Precious at five. Um, there is a player that I would love to. I'm going to describe him, and I would like to know what you think of him. He has probably he's probably the best player at using dribble moves to get by players and create for himself. He's a little older, but he's dominated every collegiate player he's ever gone against because he went to a very small school. But the dribble moves are real. When he played good teams, he did the same things that he did against these bad teams. And that is Grant Reeler. I knew you were going to say him. I am so, he is so interesting as a prospect because he dominates his competition. Dominates. He has dribble moves that, yo, he's going to have a dribble style in 2K if he hits. He gets by everyone. And when he went against Oklahoma State and um, TCU, or no, not, not TCU, VCU, he dominated. If he was there at 45, would you take a chance on a guy that dominated his competition so hard and has one skill that's so precious in this game in getting past your defender and creating? Would you take a chance? Absolutely. I love taking four-year players in in the second round. I I mean, we have it on wax. I was big on Jay Crowder and Draymond Green in 2012. I wanted Paul Millsap in 2006. Like, there are certain tendencies that prospects have at the collegiate level that are almost a surefire bet to translate those rebounding rebounding and multiple ways to get off, get off your own shot. Like that's great. Really? Yeah. If if you're able to do that, chances are you're going to succeed at the NBA level and you're probably looking for a role player in the second round. So, you know, I I would have no problem uh, with that as all. All right, what about another player? He'd kind of be the perfect power forward. Great shooter, good passer, great defender, really good screen setter. Problem is, he's had really bad injury issues, and that's Killian Tilly. If he played 60 games for you, he would be a starting power forward for you. At 45, do you think Blazer fans have it in them to take a guy who has serious injury risks at 45? He would be a really good player if he played. At 45, I would be okay, but I will say this. I have bias against certain schools and certain coaches because their players don't produce worth shit. Those three schools slash coaches are Syracuse. Carmelo Anthony is the only exception. Mm. Gonzaga, I still haven't seen a good Zag in the NBA, and they get taken super fucking high too. And then Bill Self at Kansas. Like those are my big red flags. Even at four, I'm like, no, just stay away from Gonzaga. Like we have been, we were already burnt by Zach Collins. I was in, in, I was enthralled with Adam Morrison and, and look what that, that happened. <laughs> no, yeah. ab- absolutely not. Let's stay away from a Spokane. No. <laughs> I, 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 Killian Tilly, if he if he plays seventy games and he's our the forty fifth pick, I believe that's what our pick is. I would take a chance on him. I think he could finish games for us, and 
bigs that finish games in my opinion are only three of them so if we can get the third one at 45 i would do it in an instant you're on your own island there my friend hey killian if if killian tilly if the doc said we think killian tilly has i'm not even talking like you're talking about injuries i'm not even thinking about that I have a tunnel vision right now. I see prospects I, I, under Mark Few at Gonzaga. They don't produce at the at the NBA level. I need to see what about Clark game. from. Uh, what about Brandon Clark from uh, the Grizzlies? He has a chance to be good. He might be their one exception. That that's it, and that's I, all we get. I get it. I, I totally get it. If for shit, if Grant Wheeler and Killian Tilly are there at forty five, I take Grant Wheeler every every time, but. He's a very interesting prospect, high tier intelligence, and great team defender. And god damn it, we need some good team defenders on this team. So I would I would take the risk on Killian Tilly at 45 and feel very good about it, unless Grant Wheeler is there or shit, Isaiah Joe. Yeah, I just I think there will be better players available. I mean, shit, there's there's gonna be players that I don't think deserve high picks that are gonna get high picked. So there's going to be quality in the second round. There's like shit. I think Isaiah, I mentioned Isaiah Joe. I think Isaiah Joe is going to be a very good player. If he can get stronger, he's kind of, he kind of has the Devin Vassell type game, except he's a little bit more, uh, risk taking. There we go. Risk take. He's more of a risk taper taker than a uh, Devin Vassell, but because of COVID man, I got a chance to watch a lot of college basketball and this draft has zero like superstar potential, but we don't need superstar potential. We ha- we just need some role players that can play ball. And I feel good about where the Portland Trailblazers are at this moment for their team. The low post podcast recently uh, talked about Gordon Hayward's tradeability, where he could potentially fit and teams that would want him. And our Portland Trailblazers were mentioned what do you think about uh, Gordon Hayward as a prospect before we talk about Gordon Hayward for Rodney Hood, Trevor Ariza, Anthony Simon, Zach Collins? Again, if, if we're talking about COVID and we're talking about the NBA and revenue and salary caps, we have to look at, at his current salary. I mean, I think it's only fair to determine what this player will be making. You know, Hayward is 30 years old, like, like, like a Damian Lillard. He has a player option for just a little over $34 million. And he's taking it most likely. Quite frankly, I'd be incredibly surprised if he doesn't take it. And $34 million is. Hassan Whiteside money, baby. That's seven more million than Hassan Whiteside. So you would be looking at nearly $100 million tied up between Dame CJ and Gordon Hayward. So the backcourt essentially would be 100 mil. Yeah. Three players. And I, I. Again, I, I think he is a playmaking three who is still not the same player that he was when he signed that free agency deal in Boston. Uh, the injury took a lot off him. Um, I think you're looking at a Tobias Harris level of player, probably a borderline all-star guy. I think a high caliber number four, a low caliber mm-hmm. number third option. Uh, offensively, you like what he brings to the table. Defensively, I, I think – it's not a good fit for this team. Our, our backcourt mm. is never going to lock teams down and you can't just rely on your to, to clean everything up as, clean as every, everything up. And, and we still don't have 
the power forward of the future to to defend. Like Zach Collins cannot be that player. Carmelo Anthony, I would argue, is very similar to Gordon Hayward. He's going to be a good offensive option, but defensively, he's going to leave a lot to be desired, uh, effort or not. Like the the skill level just isn't there, and I, I don't see the fit. I think if you guys, I think why it works in Boston is because you do have a stronger defensively backcourt. You've got guys like Jalen Brown. You've got uh, Mark Jason Spark. Tatum. Mm-hmm. Tatum is a good defender at the four. Daniel Tice is quicker at, at the five. So you can surround him with some defenders. I mean, you know, Kemba Walker's not the best, but if you're talking about Kemba being the only neutral or negative defender on the floor with him, you can get away with that. And, and they did. They made it to the Eastern Conference uh, finals. So and, and he probably isn't going to guard the ball since you have Jason and, uh, and uh, Marcus Smart. You don't need him to guard ball. He'll be an off-ball guy. Yeah, so I, I just don't – this is not NBA 2K, and you have to figure out – you're going to have to pay Gary Trent Jr., and you're going to have to pay Gordon Hayward next next summer, and then Nurkic the following summer after that. And Damon CJ salaries aren't getting any uh, leaner or, or mm-hmm. lighter. So it, it's I, – I understand the, the thought process there, but – at a certain point, Portland's going to have to find, and, and I see these players thrown out all the time, whether it's, you know, a guy like Otto Porter or Kevin Love. Portland needs to find a cheaper option that mm-hmm. can produce maybe even at a slightly lesser clip because flexibility with the cap is so important. And you're you're really one hand tied behind your back just with Damon CJ, salary cap speaking only. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to find guys in the draft, maybe mid-level exception type of players or players that you have in your current, you know, quote unquote farm system, whether that's in this year little, or we saw a guy like Gary Trent Jr. Start to blossom. You're going to have to have guys like that come through the ranks. And when you don't have two top 10 NBA players, you know, we were texting about this earlier. Lakers have two top 10 guys. They can really, you know, fuck all with everything else that they're going to be contenders with two top 10 players. But you look at a team like Miami, it was almost the perfect storm. They have some high salary players in an Igadala and a Jimmy Butler, but you've got Kendrick Nunn, you've got Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo. Got guys on rookie deals and guys that you found that are producing, and you basically moneyballed the shit out of that roster, and it took Mm -hmm. you to the finals. That's not sustainable because now all of those players, when they start to grow, are going to get paid, and you're going to have to get paid in bulk down the road so portland already is tied up in so much salary that i honestly can't get over the amount of money that he makes for me to be like yeah this is a good deal because we're so strong with what we're already dealing with in terms of our current roster and if he is a two-way player like Kawhi leonard you make the exception you say yes we're going to go into luxury tax we're going to do this and that but i don't think gordon hayward is i i will be honest I don't think Gordon Hayward is a much better fit than pre-COVID Trevor Ariza was. Not saying well, he's not a better player. Oh, he's a, he's a much better player, but fit. you already talked about he's a playmaking three. We have so many guys that need the ball in their hands. Do we really want another guy that needs the ball in his hands to be good? Like we got Nurk, who always is a high usage guy. Dame, CJ needs needs more time with the ball, to be honest. And then we're gonna throw in Gordon Hayward, another guy that needs the ball. He would have to accept the role of he is 
fourth option. He is a shooter. And then when bench unit is in, he can take on the role of being a playmaker for me to even think about it. I mean, financially, it's fucking tough for the Blazers, man. And to put in a guy that is earning that much, it's an interesting thought experiment. I don't like it just because Gordon Hayward needs the ball. Like if you look at Gordon Hayward's best games, it's when shit Jason Tatum's all out or Kemba Walker's out. He needs the ball to succeed, and I don't I don't know if this is the team for him to get the ball and then get that that next contract with inflated numbers. I I wouldn't do it, uh, but he probably would be the best fourth s- starter we've had in a long, long, long time. Yeah, you know we discussed last last pod. I think players like P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, much better fits for Portland. Defensive mindset, catch and shoot, low usage, know Mm. their role, not going to cost you an arm and a leg, probably a lower ceiling. But I think, again, we're talking about fit. Fit. Mm. We have Dame, C.J., and Nurk. I would be absolutely floored if any of those three players gets moved in the near future. I think that's the core that Portland is going to, quote-unquote, make their bed with, you know, that's who they're going. That's who they're rolling with and for the foreseeable future. You need to I got a question. players who oh. produce at a low usage rate and, and fit in there. And those are two way players who play defense and just don't shit the bed when they get the ball on offense. So does Gordon Hayward make Dame's life easier? Yes or no. On offense or defense as a, as a teammate. On offense, yes. On defense, hell no. Okay, does it make Nurk's life easier? I mean, that's going to be the same answer for, for every every player. He's So even CJ? You think Gordon Hayward would help CJ offensively? I would say so. I, I think because you have to imagine you would see some Hayward and you would see some CJ in the second unit. So it's always nice to have somebody else to have the defense, you know, keep so, at least one eye on. So the core, he helps 50% of our core be the best that they can be. I would ask, does Trevor Ariza help Dame offensively and defensively? I would say 100% so. So are we really going to trade a lot of depth for a guy that doesn't help our core you know, 100%. I mean, I, I would pass. I, I, I do think Portland needs to make a three for one, a four for two type of trade. I mean, I, yeah. We need to make the trade. Do you think Gordon Hayward is the trade? It is not the trade for me. It, it's a lot about salary too. Like if we traded for him, we would be, there'd be so much pressure to re-sign him. And he probably He'd be a humongous speed bump for Trev- or for Gary Trent Jr. as well, since they play the same position. And Gary Trent fits with this team. Gordon Hayward, we don't know how they would work uh, chemistry wise. I wouldn't. I, I definitely would love for us to put in all of the chips to make the trade. I don't think Gordon Hayward is the player for the trade. Hundred percent. We need to make a move to go all in, but that player. Better be a two-way player. We, I mean, shit. We saw last year, Sage, the Blazers were one of the worst defensive teams 
that, that we saw throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Their rotations were lazy. They, they didn't really fight uh, through screens as much as they had in the past. Their, their rotations didn't, it just didn't add up that they weren't able to get consistent stops. Teams just shot at will. And we saw it really in the preseason all the way through the bubble. We were having to outscore teams 120, 130 points at times just to mm-hmm. escape against mediocre teams. If we're going to make the trade, it better be someone who brings a defensive mindset because there's no way the Blazers are going to be a legit contender unless they start putting an onus on the defensive end of the floor. We we got our on-ball guy, right? We have Gary Trent who relishes playing their best, the best perimeter player, right? We need some team defensive guys. When we were playing our best ball, Trevor Ariza was a really good off-ball defender. We need off-ball defenders, and I, I don't know if Gordon Hayward physically can do that anymore. So I, I personally wouldn't, and I, I think you agree. Um, the jerseys got leaked last night, and when you sent sent it to me, I thought I am not even. I don't even fuck with jerseys that much. I don't personally like these. What when they got leaked? What did you first think? And after you saw the the model Blazers, the the model picture from the Blazers, what did you think about these jerseys? When I first saw them, I thought, we're the Oregon Trailblazers. Why would you put Oregon on, we're the Portland Trailblazers, if you want to even go deeper, Rip City. Like, it feels like you're, you're, you're reaching. And so, yes, whenever the team, you know, puts out their PR release that, oh, this is the, the majesty of Oregon and these are the colors of the state and this is what we're doing. And yes, it is good that they're donating proceeds to, to the Native American tribes. I fuck with that. However, it, it's all fluff. I, I, at the end of the day, I am just a fan critiquing a jersey. You can mm-hmm. still donate to Native American tribes without it being a terrible looking jersey. And I, I, I've looked at that jersey a hundred times, Sage. I keep going back to it. And I, I want to like it. I, I really do. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a few reasons why. One, there is nothing about that jersey that screams Portland Trailblazers or is a nod to the franchise. You know, we've seen them use plaid tones, um, plaid designs in the past. We've seen them use a Rip City wordmark. Um, we've seen them do plenty of things. Nothing about that jersey, It, unless you have the full kit, and you're walking around in the shorts and the jersey, the only way you'd be able to tell that's a Trailblazer jersey is that logo in on the shorts. Um, I, I the, the organ on the crest, this is a huge Duck fan talking to. That's a non-starter for me. That, that's either got to say Portland, Blazers, or, or Rip City. And then you look at the color they chose. To me, we have the best palette in the NBA. I, I love red, black, and white. Red's my favorite color. It's tried and true. We have beautiful jerseys. We've incorporated creams and we've incorporated, you know, dark grays into our palette and they've worked well. Brown. And it's not just like Cleveland Browns where you've got a brown top and you can, you know, offset it with some bright orange pants. Mm -hmm. It's all brown. Like why, why would you choose brown as your color? And then you're telling me in this PR piece that it's about the state of Oregon. Sage, the Pacific Northwest is green, my friend. We have lush forests. And green is the only color outside of purple 
that's not mentioned. I mean, you see blues, two shades of blues, an orange and a yellow and a brown and a black and a red. If you want to go like off and, and, and say these jerseys are about the state of Oregon and what it represents, Pacific Northwest is green, my dude. Like, yeah, like do, do something the Timbers co- colors aesthetics or something. You know, when I when I first saw it, I was like, dude, are we creating a movie and don't want to pay for the rights to use Portland? Like it, it didn't. The initial jersey looked gross, in my opinion, and I don't give a shit about jerseys. It just didn't look it didn't come correct in my uneducated eyes. It's cool that they did the stuff for the Native Americans and, you know, in their mind, it represents Oregon. When I when I drive through Oregon, I don't see brown. I see green forests and I don't know. Nike wants us to have the city jerseys every year. I felt like they could do better, but maybe COVID was a factor and it not being the most beautiful jersey. I mean, you saw the Pelicans jersey and it looked like a practice jersey in my eyes. So maybe, maybe, maybe all these other factors are making it so the jerseys don't look as pretty as last year's. I mean, I would say this has been a problem since the Nike NBA partnership began in 1718 when they started the city edition and they were going to have teams create new jerseys every single year. Clearly they're doing it for revenue and people will buy anything. I mean, I I know. Are you going to cop? Hell no. I I knew that the, the sleeve jerseys were some of the best selling ones. They had ripped city on them back in the day with Adidas. The white one? Anything, regardless of whether it looks good or not. So this is just an, it's just a money grab, but if, mm-hmm. if we're talking about, you know, being fans of the team and, and I'm, I love jerseys. I love aesthetics. I, I love all of that stuff. And I, I appreciate the craftsmanship, the time, the effort, the thought and the design that went into the three previous city edition mm-hmm. jerseys. Uh, I thought they set the bar extremely high, especially the ones from 19. And then the ones last year, those were some of the best blazer jerseys in, in history so you have the bar so high and it, it's just a complete miss and mm-hmm. two things. One, I think they should have put their foot down like the Utah jazz did. And they kept their arches sunset jerseys that they've had for, for a while now. And they said, no, these are our city additions. We're not creating one every single year. Portland should have done that after last year's cream colored set. I think that had the most positive, um, sentiment that I've seen on, on, on online for a Jersey. And you're not even considering that players like Gary Trent Jr. And Yusuf Nurkic weren't really playing when those jerseys were being sold. You add those to the player set with a possible draft pick and a mid-level exception player. There are so many other options that people are like, I really want this Jersey. Like I wasn't able to buy that Jersey. I probably would have bought it had it came out again. I now have no desire to buy this. And if Mm -hmm. we're talking about, Another aspect that feels off to me is it's a city edition Jersey, but it feels like they're trying to represent the state. Okay, fine. But the font is of the old white stag and current Portland, Oregon sign hanging over the Broadway bridge. So it's like, that's, that's a Portland, that's, that's Portland, Portland or doing Oregon mm-hmm. and it's Brown and all these other colors that represent the state it just felt like, okay, we're going to take this and that and this, and we're going to mash it up and throw it in the microwave and see what comes out. And unfortunately um, 
I, I wasn't digging it too much. Um, I actually think if you kept, if you, you just kept the design and you made it maybe a red jersey and used more team colors and you incorporated some greens, like I didn't mind the actual design. I just think the execution, it, it just, it was a miss. Like when I look at it, I'm like, that's not a Trailblazers jersey. And if you're the Portland Trailblazers, you should want it to be a Trailblazers jersey. But I've only been a fan for 30 years, Sage. So what do I know? So has there been any information about the season starting or training camps or any of free agency? Is there any information out there about that yet? So we've all we all follow Woj, we all follow Shams. Reports are that the NBA wants to start December twenty second. They clearly want the revenue that comes with being Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Yeah, you've heard Danny Green go on podcasts that say you know guys like LeBron are are going to take the the first month of the season on and off, and they would much rather prefer to start on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which Chris Haynes reported. I've, you know, it's been reported by Woj that the NBA recouped $1.5 billion by playing in the bubble. Um, ESPN and, and TNT have strongly encouraged the NBA to get back on their normal schedule. Uh, they, they quickly found out that even in a pandemic, summer sports, just people are doing other things. And then when you're into your playoffs, you're going up against hockey, MLB, and NFL starting and college football that that's back back when you were on your current schedule it was just the NHL and then Major League Baseball game one of 162 so you had much less competition so clearly they're trying to get as much money as possible they're trying to start before the Olympics in 2021 in Tokyo take place it is a quick turnaround. And uh, I said this on Twitter. I know the NBA players quote unquote sign up for this, but starting on Christmas one feels rushed. I mean, they're talking about free agency starting either like two to three days or maybe December 1st, two to three days. Yeah, like how, how are they going to have camps? How are you going to have camps? How are you going to scout? How are you going to determine like free agency options, A, B, and C. Like I've seen the blazers in the summer of 2013 signed Mo Williams probably two months after mm-hmm. free agency started. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like Davis Bertans and, and uh, Fred Van elite are going to get signed in the first three days, but there's going to be plenty of players that don't get the first seven days of signings and need to find a team. I think that what the NBA is doing is trying uh, like a marketing ploy. Like we agree that Christmas sucks, but how about, MLK just as like they don't want to miss out on money, but I think everybody would say that this is a little too fast. So here's the, the nuclear bad option. How about here's B how do you like starting MLK? And I think players would accept that. It's also tough because if you start MLK that runs into players summers and Dame tweeted, like, I just want my summers back. So there has to be a give and take on mm-hmm. both the governor, the board of governors and the NBA Players Association. Both play, both sides are going to have to compromise. If I'm a betting man, I'm always going to bet on the player or I'm always going to bet on the board of governors. I, I'm going to bet where the money goes. They are going to start around Christmas. That is, that is their Super Bowl. I mean, that is a prime time where no other sport is really playing 
you are prime time. I think if they were smart, they would reduce the amount of games to <laughs> 60 to 66. I don't think you need to play. Wasn't was 2013 kind of like that? 16 or when there was 2011, excuse me. Wasn't that 66 games? That was 66. And in 1999, they played 50. I would be fine even playing 50 and and spreading them out a bit. Um, Especially with no all-star weekend, you're going to want to give the players a a break. The the scheduling I've heard is going to be released in halves. Um, You might go into some baseball type of scheduling where you stay in a certain region and you just play those teams. Um, everything is going to be different until mm-hmm. there's a vaccine. And we're all, all aware of that. What I'm most intrigued about is what's the salary cap going to look like? What's the luxury tax going to look like? And when's free agency going to start? You know, uh, Keith Smith from Real GM is already reporting that teams already have deals lined up. And that's no surprise because when free agency always started on July 1, Literally seconds after that clock hit midnight Eastern Standard Time, you've got notifications blowing up that J.J. Redick has signed with the Pelicans and Evan Turner signed with the Blazers and so on and so forth. So Mm. clearly tampering has taken place. That hasn't stopped in the pandemic. So I'm just really excited to, I think tomorrow, we're recording this on Friday night, the 20 or Thursday night, excuse me, October 29th. Tomorrow, you know, is supposed to be the last day of the the extension between the Players Association and the Board of Governors. So I would really love to hear some concrete news as to what's the salary cap going to look like? When is free agency going to start? You know, in a way, the Blazers are in a good position. Because they do have some, some, not a lot. They used to have a lot of continuity. They have some continuity. And I think you're going to see the teams that stick together have the best lockout seasons. And this, I'm calling it a lockout because they're playing fewer than 82 games. That was one of the reasons why the 99 Blazers were able, were able to sneak up on teams and make it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. They brought back nearly the entire cast of characters from 98, and they were 12 deep. They had a deep mm-hmm. bench. They were able to go through those three games and three nights. And their talent, depth, youth, continuity – coaching add that all up that was a recipe to get them all the way to the conference finals i think if the blazers are able to get a healthy rodney hood back i think if you get a full season of yusuf nurkic i think you get continued contributions from players like nasir little gary trent jr and maybe add one impact piece you've got your mid-level exception and maybe a trade Mm -hmm. you've got enough continuity to with your star power to go out and really kick some ass. I mean, if you're, if you're all following Dame on social, his IG is nothing but him working out. Like the dude's ready to go. I hope Neil O'Shea is in win now mode. Um, We've already discussed on the last podcast. I would be willing to even trade a guy like Zach Collins for PJ Tucker, given the 14 year age difference. Normally I'd be like, no way, but no, this we have to go for bank. And mm. if it's one thing I give the, the Rockets credit for is they went for it. Mm. Yeah, they're in a shitty position now, but Chris Paul's hamstring be damned. They were closer than any team was that didn't Being win a championship able. to mm. actually win a championship. Yeah. So like like we, we've said this, Sage, from past year or so, we want to look back on Damian Lillard's career and have zero regrets. Right now mm. we have a lot. We can atone for those. We need to go out and find players that fit with him, 
that can win with him. He deserves it for everything he's done for this franchise. It's time for his coaching staff and his management to match his production on the court. I like it. Before we wrap it up, we've been we've been doing our research for the draft picks. Dustin, name a few guys that the fans and listeners should uh, put on their YouTube and do a little research on. Ooh, you were putting me on the spot. Oh, man. Well, clearly, if the Blazers trade up, I think we're both on board with Onyeka Okongwu. He is a power forward center from, from USC. I think he's a slightly smaller Tyson Chandler, prime Tyson Chandler, who is more fit for the modern NBA. Um, I also really like Devin Vassell. I, I think you've got everything you want in, in a modern two-way wing. Um, he's got the, the size you want, 6'7", the wingspan, 6'10", and he's only he's less than 20 years old. Florida State is a, a college really known for not playing their players to their full potential, and they, mm-hmm. usually, they usually shine once they get to the pros. And I think if we get to our spot at 16 and you see some players, um, take a look at Patrick Williams. He's got some flaws, but he can every player Movement has issues. flaws. Yep. He's, he's very bouncy. He can play some defense. He hustles like he'd hell. He'd be nice. He'd be nice with Nurk. Hundred um, percent. We've talked about Jalen Smith. I've talked about Sadiq Bay, Aaron Neesmith. Desmond Bain is a player who I really like. That you brought me on. Um, my if, my second favorite player. If he's there <laughs> in the second round, I I do like uh, Xavier Tillman. He, he's no oh, you're you're Xavier Truther now. I would say I like him. I'm not in love with him. I, I don't think. Oh, he, you know, I'm his. I love Xavier Tillman. I don't think he's Draymond, but if you can get him in the second round, absolutely take him. I. Mm. I hope he's not a draft and stash. If Leandro Bomaro is able to come over, I love the fact that he's from Argentina. Like Luis Scola, Manu Ginobili, like the Euros just know how to fucking ball. Um, and Balmaro is a playmaker who can be point of attack Miller, defender. Absolutely. Um, I think Kyra Lewis would be someone if if we're set on using our 16th pick on a point guard. I think Kyra Lewis would be a really nice player to learn from uh, Damon CJ. Xavier Tillman's obviously going to be one of the guys that I would uh, recommend people watching. Um, Dez. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, I think, is going to be a very good player. I think Cole Anthony, if I, I believe in his shot, I think he, there's a very small chance that he isn't a good player. Um, Killian Hayes is my number one prospect. So check out the guy from France who played at Um last season, who has made a lot of strides in his defensive game and is one hell of a playmaker. Anthony Edwards is a really fun uh, highlight person to watch. So there's a lot of players in this draft that I think are good players. And, you know, if, if you aren't going to watch full games, w- doing the those quick, quick uh, highlight tapes is a way to learn about the players. And I think the number one thing to look at when you do the small sample size uh, for guards is how easily did they get to the fin- to, to finish at the hoop? The first highlight better be banging, but that second highlight better look good too. Because if you don't have more than one 
highlight that it's like, oh, okay, this is what he can do in the pros. If you can't do it in college, you're not going to do it in the NBA. Um, that scouting guards is tough, but yeah, look how easy they get to the hoop. two prospects who are going to bust. No riding on the fence either. Two prospects on wax that are going to bust. James Wiseman, Obi Toppin. Okay. I will go with LaMelo Ball and Isaac Okoro. Ooh, I like Isaac a lot. He screams Michael Kidd Gilchrist to me. I was burnt by that bridge uh, once. So is this draft really about I was burned by a guy who has similar skill set or goes to a similar school? Fuck that guy. <laughs> Sage, we've, I, I've been a draft guy for since I was a little kid. Like, I always love the draft. I watch college basketball quite a bit, and, like, it, it's always been one of my favorite holidays, days of the year. When I go into a deep dive on a player, and we're talking about Isaac Okoro, I'm like, oh, like, pre-zone defense – monster like you're looking at like a drone cursey type of athlete just slashing on the break dunking his highlights look great but you move forward to a zone friendly nba and I'm like oh they might defend him like he's tony allen and he's going to be wide open and if he can't hit a jump shot i'm not, I'm not talking about his playmaking you can be the best playmaker sage be the best finisher if you can't shoot it is going to be so hard for you at this level to make an impact I mean, even Ben Simmons gets criticized for days and he has a lot of shortfalls because he can't shoot the basketball. Isaac Okoro could not shoot. Now, could he de- develop a jump shot? Sure. Mm-hmm. And his shot's not broken like Kid Gilchrist was, but I just get MKG vibes and I think there are better prospects available. So if I'm picking in the top 10, I would go elsewhere and you, I, I asked the question, so I had to answer it as well. So I'm going to go with LaMelo and I'm going to go with the Coro. All right. Um, who are you willing to take your biggest stand on? Is it Sadiq or Aaron? Yeah. I think both those players are going to play in the NBA for a long time. I would go Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey and Xavier Tillman. I think is going to finish games in uh, the NBA. You see what, a guy like Grant Williams can do for Boston, a high IQ player who can pass. Xavier Tillman is a high IQ player who can pass, defend, and be that muscle for you. I, I think Xavier Tillman will be a a fin- uh, one of those guys when you watch the playoffs, it's like, who the hell is that guy getting major run who's producing? I think Xavier Tillman's going to be that guy next year. I think it's Dylan Sage. In the next few weeks, you will be seeing a lot more Holy Backboard content. And thank you so much for listening. If you can still vote, vote. If you're a real one, if you've listened this far. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!